The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is, uh, is not, uh, he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Let's read that last verse together again. Ready and begin. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Thank you for standing. You may be seated tonight. I'd like us to bow our heads and uh, consider that question that we just were asked in song. Is thy heart right with God? Does God have the ability tonight as we bow in prayer here to this evening? Does God have the ability to expose anything in your heart, to put the heavenly searchlight on your heart and say this needs to be changed? Would you bow there? And give quiet to the Lord in this moment and ask God, is my heart right with you? Lord, is my heart in, at peace with you? Before we get into the word, should we ask that question? I think so. Lord, I want to thank you, Father, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, who indwells us as believers. Lord, my, my earnest prayer is that every person in this auditorium tonight knows for certain beyond the shadow of a doubt that they have put their faith in you and that when they die, they'll spend an eternity with you in heaven. Lord, I don't know if that's the case in every heart, but you do. And Lord, I pray if that's the need tonight, that you would help, no matter if it's been a member for many, many years. But Lord, I pray that tonight uh, would be the night of salvation for anyone who is without the fold. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the convicting work that is necessary. But Lord, for us as, as believers, you promised that your Spirit would guide us into all truth. You will identify. You also told us that we can grieve you. And tonight I pray, Lord, that you would guide us with your word and that you would shape us, mold us, that you convict us, you would show us what we need to change and correct in order to be right with you. Lord, we want a right relationship with you. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would hush our hearts before you this evening, that you would allow us to be real and honest and humble before you, and that your word would have preeminence in our heart as very authoritative in our lives. And, Lord, we pray that you would do the work that is necessary here in our church family so that we might honor and glorify you. And so, Lord, we pray these things. We ask you to accomplish your will. I ask you, Lord, to put me aside, and would you deliver your message this evening to this, this body who you love very, very much, and we thank you for that. And we give you praise for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time that we were together in uh, 2 Timothy, we focused on this one verse, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. And the title of the message was Strong in Grace. Every one of us needs to be strong in grace. Every one of us needs grace. Timothy is being told here by his spiritual mentor, his spiritual leader in his life, Timothy, I want you to make sure that your life is being lived by grace. There is no other way to live our lives. There's no other way to grow in our spirituality and our relationship with Jesus Christ if we are not living by grace. And what we'll see here is a little bit of an expansion on what we started the last time we were together, being strong in grace. But God doesn't just want us to be strong in grace. He wants grace to influence every single part of our life. We need the grace of God in our lives. So Timothy is being encouraged to rely on the grace of God, yes, for his relationship with God, and we all need that, but also for his calling as a pastor and a spiritual leader, his calling to follow Jesus Christ and to serve Jesus Christ. Every one of us has been called to serve Jesus Christ within his body and in the world as his ambassadors. And so, like Timothy, in his own relationship, yes, he needed the grace of God. In his calling that he had upon his life by God, he needed grace in his life. One man said, man is broken. He lives by mending, and it is the grace of God that is the glue. It is the grace of God that is the glue. Every one of us has come here tonight with a brokenness, whether we realize it or not. Every one of us is a broken individual before God. And it is the grace of God that is applied into our lives as glue to mend us together as we humbly acknowledge to God, I'm a broken and I'm a messy individual. One of the problems that faces Christianity here in America is we don't believe we're messy. We believe we're good, and we believe that we have all things together. And just as was said this morning, pride is one of the things that enters into our lives in such a sinister and awful way, and it, it permeates our thinking. And we think, I, I don't need this, but we are messy individuals. Every one of us needs grace on our worst day. Uh, there, uh, on our worst days are never so bad, as one man said, that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need for God's grace. We are in a constant need of grace in our lives. You need grace tonight. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's up ahead of you, but you need grace, and the only way to access that is by humility before our holy God. Acknowledge, I am a broken and needy individual. No man in this room, no woman in this room has wisdom, but that he first or she first said God I need your wisdom there is no answer to our spiritual needs there is no there is no victory in our lives over sin until we first admit before God I have need for um, from you I have the need of grace in my life and so Paul first of all gets Timothy to understand this in verses one through two hey Timothy if you're gonna be a life that's lived out by grace you need to be enabled by grace that's what we looked at briefly the last time we were together Timothy needed the enablement of God's grace he needed to receive it personally and it is something that you and I need to receive personally Every one of us needs this week, as we go into this week, there's going to be challenges up ahead of us, but every one of us needs to, with God, have that moment with God daily and moment by moment where we're saying, God, I need your grace. I need you to enable me. He says, thou therefore, my son, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be enabled by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is an imperative. This is a command that Paul is giving to his son in the faith. You're not going anywhere in your calling. You're not going anywhere anywhere in your Christian life if you're not accepting the grace of God because that's what he gets at here this isn't something Timothy was to muster up in his life he wasn't to say well I think I'll have grace today but it was something that he would have to go to God with and admit his own need for it and receive it from God but it's a command to go to God and receive it 
You know, there's warehouses full of God's grace. God has all the grace that we need. There is infinite amount of grace. And he will give it to all that ask. He will give it to all that come boldly to the throne of grace in a humble spirit. He will give it. But Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This grace is, yes, it's the grace that saves our soul. The Bible talks to us about this grace that's appeared to all men. And it talks about this grace that brings salvation. Yes, it's a grace that saves our soul, but it's much more than that. It's a grace of God's outworking of his goodwill in our life. It's the divine power that God expresses in our life. Jerry Bridges said it this way, grace expresses two complementary thoughts. God's unmerited favor to us through Christ and God's divine assistance to us through his Holy Spirit. Whenever God gives you victory over sin is because of his grace. Can I get an amen to that? You didn't win that victory on your own. It is the grace of God that gives you the ability to say no to the lust of the flesh and no to the lust of the eyes and no to the pride of life. I will act humbly instead. The Bible helps us to understand that we need this desperately. Paul says to the Corinthian believers, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's in the context of a giving church, a generous church. And Paul says, God has the ability to work out in your life so that you always have what you need so that you can always do what God wants you to do. That's the grace of God. My question for us tonight is, are you receiving the grace that is available to you in Jesus Christ? You notice what he says there? It's not the grace that comes from watching me as, as your mentor, Timothy. It's not the grace that you can get from being in a church service, though we can be reminded of those things. It's not the grace that you might get when you're talking to somebody and counseling with somebody. No, no, it's a grace that is only in Christ Jesus. If you need grace tonight, and every one of us do, it's found in Jesus Christ. What you need more than anything in your life is Jesus Christ and a closer relationship with him. You know, sometimes we get in our minds a to-do list and a checklist and we make Christianity that. If you are focused on a to-do list type of Christianity, you're focused on the wrong thing. Jesus Christ must be your focus. He is the author, the finisher of your faith. You must have your eyes on him. He is the source of your grace. And Paul is saying, listen, go to him. Go to him who has all the grace that you need, Timothy. Receive that grace from him. And it always requires humility. That's why so many times we fumble, we fail the grace of God because we are not humble before him. We think we can do it on our own. That's a pretty big deal to fail the grace of God. We don't want to do that. And so I encourage us tonight to go to him humbly and admit, God, I have problems. I'm a broken mess. I need to be glued back together. And this is that humility that God says, yes, I can bless this person with almighty grace in their life. But this was not just for Timothy to receive personally. Sometimes we think, well, that's for the people that God is really using in a special sort of way. There's a special calling in their life. No, God wants us for every single one of us in the church. In fact, the church must have the grace of God in order to go forward. You think about this, as the Bible says in 1 Peter 4 and verse number 10, as every man hath received the gift. What gift? The spiritual gift. The enabling of the Holy Spirit to function within the body. This gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the spiritually, uh, the, the gift uh, the, of the Spirit. He says, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold. Do you remember? The manifold what? 
grace of God. So this gift that God's given you, the gift of mercy or the gift of administration or the the gift of teaching or whatever the gift is that he's given you to operate within the local church and to edify the local church, to build up the local church together as Ephesians 4.16 says. He says, take that gift and I want you to minister that same gift to somebody else. Why? So that you can be good stewards of the manifold, the abundant grace of God. So when you use your gift in the church and you use it to the glory of God and not for self self-aggrandizement when you use it for his glory for his purposes without pride when you do that do you know what it is it's being a good steward of the manifold grace of god and so here's what paul's telling timothy i want you to notice that he says in verse number two uh, you need to take what god is doing in your life and i want you to commit that to faithful men who should be able to teach others also this is a huge hugely important verse Notice how it's not just personally receiving the grace of God, personally pass the grace of God forward. Personally pass it on. Where none of us are to be this, this container. We're all to be conduits. I, I've said this before. I, I remember sitting in Milwaukee. We were out sowing and I was driving the bus and I remember listening to Christian radio and hearing a preacher say, uh, say like this, sitting saints start to stink. Have you ever heard that? Sitting saints start to stink. Here's what he's getting at. Every believer needs to be a conduit of the grace of God. Because whenever we're taking in and taking in and taking in and we're not giving out the grace of God, we will begin to be like the Dead Sea. We will shrivel up on the inside. We'll stink. God intended for the Christian life to be a conduit of grace, a conduit of passing it forward. And so here's what Timothy is to do. With this grace that God is outworking in his life, this divine enablement he is to be strong in and that he is being enabled by, he is to pass it forward. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What, what did Timothy heard? Well, I remind you, and you can look back in Second uh, Timothy 1, verse number 13, would you? Second Timothy 1, verse number 13, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I don't want you to forget what I've taught you. Timothy, I want you to to stand very strong on the very words and the very definitions, the very form as we learn, the very very boundaries of the very words of God. I don't want you to be wishy-washy. It's not, we just got the general thought. No, Timothy, I want you to stand on the very boundaries, the very definitions. We all understand how language changes over time. We all understand that Satan's number one way of undermining what God is doing in the world and in your family and in your life is to question the word of God. And so if Timothy was to be a man based on the word of God, if the church he was pastoring was to be one that is being a pillar in the ground of truth, he was going to have to stand very strong on the very form of sound words. He was going to have to not give up an inch of ground when it comes to the doctrine and the definitions of God's word. And so it's so important important that we don't become half-hearted about what the Bible says. We stand strong on the word of God in its exactness. And Timothy had heard this from a child, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had heard from a young child, children, we have many children here tonight. I'm thankful for what God's doing in our children. I'm thankful for the fact that they're being told on a regular basis at home, here's the way that you get saved. Here's the way that you um, be right with God. Here's how God would have you to live your life. Timothy had heard it from a young, young age. And Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you to give this up. 
I want you to pass it on to those that are in front of you. Notice that Paul says, among many witnesses, Timothy had traveled with Paul all over. That was a pretty amazing thing. I I can't imagine all the experiences that he had. He had traveled all over with Paul. He had heard the same message over and over and over again to different groups, maybe illustrated in different ways, but he had heard the same message over and over again to different groups with many different backgrounds, and Paul had uh, exemplified in front of Timothy, here's the truth, and we're standing by it. And he says, I want you to take this message that you've heard me preach over and over and over again, and I want you to commit it to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Don't be swayed by the changes in people and culture the message remains the same commit it to faithful men and so what was timothy to do with this that he had heard it's just that entrust it to faithful men entrust it put it into the care of of person i remember uh after i think i told you about this before we had built this house when i was working construction back in college we had built this house and i was just watching our wedding video the other other day and we were married here on this platform and it was, uh, I, it, it's someone whoever was videoing it from right back there but the sound wasn't really great but i was, I was looking and i saw the folks that we had built this house for they traveled all the way from over in indiana he was a he was a, a, a vice president for one of the orthopedic companies over there in Warsaw, indiana and i'd given the gospel and whatnot but he drove all the way over here with the contractor my former boss and uh and they were in our wedding which was kind of a a, a cool thing to see how the war was working in their heart but i remember after we built this house a beautiful beautiful house i mean uh very 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 well to do and very very expensive and i remember uh him asking me to house sit this thing while they went on on vacation and so i'm thinking i'm a young guy this is this is an amazing house i mean it has a built-in pool it's just a beautiful beautiful place and i had to take care of the dog i had to make sure the dog didn't die on the on the uh, uh, during that whole thing but i remember that and you know what it's a being entrusted with something you you understand you've had different scenarios in your life being entrusted you have you have this and now take it don't don't damage it don't mess it up this has been given to you you're entrusted, and God, and God is telling Timothy, listen, I want you to take what you've heard. I want you to take the sound words of Scripture. I want you to commit that to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, who can be entrusted with this, with this message. Now let's think about this matter of faithful here. It says that these are to be faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Uh, the idea of reliable, reliable, uh, responsible, worthy of requiring responsibility or trust or held accountable and so in the new testament it's used some 18 times to describe those who have the ability to be uh, to be entrusted with something that is very very precious and you know sometimes we 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 say well that's a faithful person or uh boy uh, good job for being faithful but i want us to consider when the bible's talking about this matter of faithfulness it's more than just being present would you agree with me on that one, thank you, Brother Tom. I appreciate your agreement on that. Anyone else want to agree on this matter? Uh, the, the fact of the matter is it's more than being, um, being present. Just because you're here tonight does not mean you're faithful to the Lord. Because what you do the rest of the six days of the week really matters. And the fact of the matter is, being faithful is not, when Paul is saying, hey, I want you to commit this to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, God is saying, listen, I want you to be faithful more than just, I'm here, 
more than I'm just checking off a checklist, I am, I am spiritually engaged. This is an attribute that is to be found in a person's life, and it is one that is to be a characteristic, something that is not a characteristic so that they can serve, but a characteristic that is there and evident in their life, and that's the reason that they can be, um, they can be tapped and said, I want you to do this. I need you to help disciple this person along. I need you to help them understand the, the form of sound words. So a faithful person is a trustworthy person, someone that does not have to be prodded but has it in their heart. This is something I must do, not for someone else, but I must do it because I want to please my heavenly Father. And it's so very important. I think about faithful. And I think about Stephen in the, Old Te- in the New Testament in Acts chapter number 6 when they were looking for deacons within the, within the church to help this. Just understand this church is, uh, is a fledgling church. It's, it's growing by leaps and bounds and there's problems that, that come up because no church is perfect, right? Right? No people are perfect, right? Like we learned well this morning. But here's this church that's having some problems. There's some disagreements going on inside the church. So what's the answer? I'm going to get these. We're going to look out among you, and we're going to find men that are full of faith. Full of faith. What was God telling them to, what was God telling them to do? Find men in the church that already are exhibiting faithfulness. They're not just present, but they're spiritually engaged. They're walking with the Lord. It's in their heart. They don't have to be prodded to to be there. They don't have to be prodded to serve. They don't have to be prodded to communicate their faith and to consider one another to provoke them to love and good works. They don't have to be prodded to get right. They are there and they're faithful. And so Paul is telling Timothy, if the church is going to go on, you're going to have to commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I consider about the dearth of, of men in our generation who will stand and will lead. One of the things that I was challenged about, even as we were going through the family series, one of my, my desires is to encourage our men, don't be like the rest of men in society. Don't take what society is saying, hey, you're not worth it, and your, your role as a husband's not a big deal. No, you take the spiritual leadership. Go forward, be faithful before God, and lead. I was reading this past week about Deborah and Barak, and it just uh, hit me once again. That is a symptom of our age in this day, where we are very willing to let the women take the lead. I'll hear sometimes people say, well, why is a woman in charge of this? Well, show me a man who's ready to take it. Show me a man who has the vision of the pastor and will say, you know what, pastor, you're not going to have to prod me. You're not going to have to put me along. I'm going to do it with excellence, and I'm going to check in with you. This is an issue in our day, and I want to I just challenge us as men, not because I dislike you, but I want to challenge the, every man here tonight do not let the women outlead you spiritually. We don't need the Deborah and Barak situation at the Grace Baptist Church. We need faithful men who are reliable and trustworthy and spiritually engaged in their own relationship with God and with their family and in the church so that when people walk in, they're realizing there's a spiritual man, there's someone I can go get spiritual advice, there's someone I can go get marriage counsel from, there's someone I can get a question answered, faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This idea of faithful is used in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful faithful. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 21, his Lord said unto him, well done thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter it thou into the joy of the Lord. Faithfulness. And that is what God requires. 
Are you with me tonight? Are you still here tonight? There are four generations here that are mentioned. If a church is going to go forward, if a church is going to stand up in this incredibly perverse day, just like Paul is uh, uh, teaching about in that day, Ephesus was no cakewalk. Ephesus was a perverted place, just like America is a perverted place. If the church was going to go forward, there was going to need to be uh, the ability to commit, to entrust, to trustworthy, reliable, responsible men who would be able to teach others also the idea of able is to fit meeting an adequate standard for a purpose so they're able, they are ready to communicate. I want to challenge every man. If you do not know how to communicate your faith tonight, you need to learn how to communicate your faith. Don't go one week longer without knowing how to say to somebody and on a Sunday morning or on any other time, I can take that person, I can show them from the Bible how they can know for certain they're on their way to heaven. Every man ought to be able to do that. Every man ought to be able to give the, the basic principles of um, following God. This is what the Word says. and You have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, and the Holy Spirit will guide you. And when you hear that voice at work saying, don't say that cuss word, and don't go out with that, alone with that woman, and, and don't, uh, don't uh, laugh at their jokes, and don't, uh, don't just try to act like them, every, every man ought to be able to encourage another new believer and say, hey, this is the way that you walk with the Lord and stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. Every man ought to be able to uh, help uh, another believer uh, understand what it is to walk with God and what it is to have a personal relationship with God. Don't be content to just sit and mark present. This church will go nowhere without men in this church who say, I'm not going to just mark present, I'm going to be spiritually engaged. My prayer for our church is that God will renew us in this way, we're here at this, uh, this, uh, at this book of the Bible. Why? Because it gives practical instruction just like this, and God knows it, and we need it. And so we find here that there's four generations. Paul is talking to Timothy. I've delivered this to you, and I've delivered it to other witnesses. Timothy, I want you to take it, and I want you to deliver it to faithful men. And those faithful men are going to be able to teach others also. Do you know how the church will continue forward? Only when there is a perpetuation through the generations of this teaching being committed down and down the line. If Paul had only depended on himself, the churches wouldn't go forward. He needed a Timothy, and Timothy needed a faithful man. And th those faithful men needed to be able to teach it to others also who would be able to teach and continue the truth forward, the form of sound words. The existence of every church requires those who are faithful, who are already faithful to be who, who can be fit and able to teach others also. We need to see the Lord do a reviving work in the matter of discipleship. Sometimes people will say, well, where's this person and where's this person? You know that one person cannot disciple every new believer. At some point, there has to be men in this church who say, you know what, I'm concerned about this person. I'm praying for this person. I'm checking in on this person. I, Pastor, could I disciple them? There has to be that commitment and it has to come from the leadership of the men. Faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Jesus is our pattern. Hebrews 2 and verse 17, the same word that is used here in this passage for Timothy. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, 17 that Jesus is our faithful high priest. Isn't that great? I'm not your standard. He is. One another is not the standard, though we should be role models to one another. 
But Jesus Christ is our standard for faithfulness. And as long as he's a standard and as long as we have our eyes on him, we can keep progressing forward and growing in this matter. And so Timothy was needing to give this forward. He was to take the grace of God personally. He was to pass it forward to those that were in front of him and those that were trustworthy. And he could identify like a Stephen in the church. Have you thought about Stephen? Have you considered Stephen's, Stephen's character? Have you considered the fact that he was full of the Holy Ghost, he was full of faith, and he as a, a, a man in the church, a layman in the church, he had no title at all, but here's a man that was tapped. You're going you're gonna to assist the apostles as they have some uh, growing pains within the church. Here, you're going to help out in the practical areas of life. He did not begrudge what the practical areas was. It was literally serving tables. It was literally helping the widows, the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows, have what they needed. It was literally uh, doing acts of benevolence. And so as time goes on, what happens? God opens up other doors to this faithful man. Now he is actually declaring the word of God, preaching. He is declaring sound doctrine in Jerusalem, so much so that he gets the ire of the Pharisees and the religious leaders against him, so much so that he is so bold in his faith that he goes to the death. He goes to stoning. And when he's there, they were so taken back by this man of faith who with his, with, his, with his face, it shone that he was walking with God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stands as heaven opens, as he's about ready to part this life into the next. Jesus is standing to receive this man of faith. That's the type of men that we need in every church in America and the Grace Baptist Church needs. We cannot pass it off to our children. We cannot expect the next generation to have passion about their Christianity if we are not willing to be passionate about our Christianity. We can't. Dads, we cannot expect the next generation to be passionate about the Word of God if we're not passionate about the Word of God. We cannot. And we've seen generation after generation after generation fail in, in, in that way. It is, not, it is not, as we look around to the culture, there's all sorts of problems in the culture. The culture is, is out there. It's always been out there. It was out there in Timothy's days. I mean, it was, it was not good there in Ephesus at all. Not at all. There were men that needed to stand up and say, I don't care about what the culture says. I care only about what the Word of God says. I will be faithful to him. Yes, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, I'll take that and we'll, we'll teach others also. I, I take the challenge. The path Timothy needed to follow wouldn't be easy. Sometimes we get in our minds that Christianity somehow is going to be easy. It's going to be a cakewalk. We can, we can breeze um, forward through it. It's not going to be easy. Brother, it has been easy over the past uh, couple years there, or the past time in your, in your time there in, uh, in Italy. I doubt not. I, I mean, there's challenges all along the way. Timothy was going to face challenges. And so what does Paul say? I don't want you just to be enabled by grace. I want you to endure by grace. Oh, we got to endure like God isn't going to just make this a really easy float along, you know, along the lazy river, right? You know, it's not, no, it's not going to be that way. You're going to need to endure. And I want us to notice in verse number three, there's a reality to suffering. He says, thou therefore. All right, Timothy, I want to get your attention again. I want you to be listening to me. You, Timothy, you need to endure. You need to endure the affliction. Wow based on the receiving of the grace of God and the passing it on, you need to be ready to endure hardness. The idea of hardness is to suffer together with. It's actually the word endure hardness is one, one Greek word. 
and it's the idea of suffering together. Well, where's that in the fine print of Christianity? Actually, Jesus went over and over and over and over that. If any man's going to follow me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. And so the idea here, Timothy, thou therefore, as my son in the faith, I want to encourage you, I want to endure you, I want to command you that in this instant you choose to endure the hardness that is going to come your way. Paul and other Christian workers were enduring affliction, and so should Timothy. The exhortation was needed. Timothy was rather timid. He was, he was kind of backward as a young fellow. He was not cast in the same heroic mold of Paul as we says. And so they, he needed this admonition from Paul. Hey, I want you to make sure that you are being, uh, that you're enduring the hardness that's going to come your way. You know, you would think about it. Think about Judas. They're in that room and and. This woman breaks the alabaster box and anoints Jesus' feet. And she is exhibiting the grace of God in her relationship. She loves Jesus so very much that she's willing to give a year's worth of, of income, of, of, of money, in this one single act of love towards Jesus Christ. I mean, extraordinary love. Love that is, that is really, really amazing. It comes from the heart, and you know what? That fills the room. That perfume fills the room. You with allergies would be like, man, a lot, you know, let me out of here. You know what I'm saying? You know, like headaches coming on. But here's, here's what's going on. She, she, is, she is showing her love. Everyone in that room should have, you know what? That is the sweetest thing that I've ever seen. That's what should have happened. Boy, that makes me want to give to Jesus. It's, that's the heart it should have responded. But you know what? Judas standing over in the corner. Huh. I mean, that could have been sold and given to the poor. Wow. You would think that seeing the grace of God at work would make everyone happy, but no. It doesn't always make it happy. In following Jesus Christ, there are some that are not happy with the, the grace of God at work in people's lives and through people's life and the passing on of, of truth from one generation to the next. And I think about Moses. It's vivid as we go down through the life of Moses. Moses, as this man who says, I will follow God. I am, I am not the person that I think God, on God needs. I, I don't have the ability to speak. I don't have the ability to persuade Pharaoh. I don't have any of these abilities, but I, I I'll finally do it. He finally gives up and he does it and, and he's following God. And, and Moses, as, uh, as the one who's leading the people of, of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, right? Legitimate. Kids, can you imagine being whipped with, a, with like a, a, a leather strap that has glass in it? Can you imagine that? And can you imagine the, 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 the brutality of what happened there in Egypt as these people, when they got out of line, uh, they, they would whip. They worked from sunup to sundown. Uh, sun Some of your kids say, my mom and my dad worked me from sunup to sundown, right? No, no, nothing like what happened in Egypt, all right? The, what happened in Egypt was really, really bad. I mean, they, they were in bondage. They had no control over their life. They had to get the, the, um, the supplies to make the brick, and they had to as well make the brick, and they couldn't come down in the amount of bricks that they made. They had to do all this. And so you would think that as they're leaving Egypt, by the way, with all the spoils of Egypt, everyone's giving their jewelry, they're walking out with loads of money. This is amazing what has happened. The death angel has gone through Egypt, 
killed all the firstborn, but not Israel, those that have put the blood on the, on the doorpost, you would think that they'd be delighted as they walked out of Egypt, yet at the first moment of difficulty, there at the, at, at the Red Sea, do you know what happens? All the people accuse Moses of bringing them out into the wilderness to kill them. Moses, the one who has for days and days on end has gone and stood in front of Pharaoh and said, let my people go, risk his own life, we find that they, in the first moment of difficulty, are saying, nope, you brought us out here to kill us. Not everyone's always happy with the grace of God. At the moment of absence, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the law of God, the, the literal revelation of God, the people, Aaron throws all that jewelry into the fire, and poof, there comes a calf, right? That's his story, right? That's how that goes. And, uh, but, but he formed it. I mean, there were people that actually had to form this thing. And so they, they form it. It, was, it. it took some time. It didn't just poof, come out of the fire. It was, it was, a, it was a job. And so when Moses uh, comes down, Joshua on their way down, uh, hey, God says, hey, you need to get down there. The people, are, the people are messing up down there, something fierce. They're not continuing the grace of God. They're not living according to liberty I've given them. Uh, they are down there around the calf, dancing without their clothes, and while they're dancing without their clothes, the Bible says that they are making music that sounds like the noise of war. It's very interesting to me that, that when, when churches begin to, to move away from God's word and stand on God's word, one of the first two things that go is music and clothing. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The same battle Moses was fighting is the same battles that's being fought today. And so here's what's going on. At the moment of absence, uh, they're not saying, you know what, we're just going to continue to depend upon the Lord. They are, they are dancing without their clothes uh, and, and making music that, that is very warsome. At the moment of need, they complain that there was no food and water, and they verbalize how much they long to be back in Egypt and have the leeks and the garlics and all this stuff that they ate while being whipped. I mean, it's just amazing to me at the moment of available victory when God says, hey, go in now. The promised land is yours. The land flowing with milk and honey is now yours. Go in. Yeah, there's going to be some giants, but I'll go with you. I'll whoop them, and it's going to be a great time. And they go, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that. Two guys say, you know what? We can. Ten guys say, no, we can't, and Israel goes with them. The moment of having daily bread provided, they complain about having no meat. At the moment... One point in the journey, his own family, Aaron and Miriam, come up against him. And you know what God did? God gave leprosy to Miriam. It wasn't exactly a pleasant outcome. At the moment, a portion of the congregation turned against him in rebellion. God swallowed them up into the earth. God takes that very, very seriously. And so here's what's going on. Enduring hardness in the ministry and following God goes along with the territory. It is a part. It goes hand in glove. It is a part of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Timothy needed to understand that. Moses understood that. Paul understood that. Jesus, of all people, understood that. And Jesus even told us, when he told us and gave us this promise, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, uh, by the way, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for you. And that's the way this is going to happen. And if it's going to continue to happen, it's going to require Matthew 16, 24. It is going to require exactly what I've said before, that 
if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The spirit of the age is this. The spirit of the age is that men love themselves. We are revolving around ourselves, And here's the problem. That cultural philosophy creeps into the church. We revolve around us. Everyone needs to serve us. Everyone needs to see it my way. Everyone needs to be about me. And it is humanism Christianized. And it's in our churches and even in the Grace Baptist Church. Friends, I am, I, I am, I am warning us against that. Jesus nowhere said that your life, this church, about your, his, his working in the world revolves around you. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It meant for Timothy that there's going to be some sleepless nights. There's going to be some preoccupied minds. There's going to be some strong, uh, strong stands that you have to take. And you're going to sometimes not know where the next battle is going to come. But here's the fact. God God will give grace, and he says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul understood this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me, the care of all the churches. The word care here is the anxiety, the worry, and the burden, and the concern. And Paul says, Timothy, I have a list of, uh, of hardness that I've endured for this, and I'm challenging you to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is a good reason to pray for every pastor you know, to pray for every Christian worker, to pray. Why? Because the ministry requires hardness. If you're going to teach a Sunday school, it requires hardness. If you're going to serve in any area in the church, you are going to have to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's required. Suffering in verse number three, Paul continues to help us understand how it's required. He gives us three illustrations. Timothy, I need you to suffer with me like a soldier. Like a soldier. This is a very interesting illustration that is given here. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, not a half-hearted soldier, but a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The idea of entangled means to become hindered by. To become hindered by. And so to be entangled with, to become involved in some task or role that to the point that it interferes with your spiritual obligations and callings. And so Timothy was to live his life as a good soldier that never in any moment was he being entangled by the affairs of this life. This word affairs only appears once here in the Bible, in this verse. It's a very interesting ver uh, word it has the idea of the work or the business of life, any occupation in a person's life that they do to earn money. Do you know what God is telling Timothy? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I want to make sure that you don't get entangled with money making. And you know what? We have to learn 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, that all of our lives are to be lived towards God, that nothing in this world, even our careers, are not to entangle us. They're not to have a, a grip on us. The idea is, does, do you have a job or does your job have you? That's what Paul's getting at here. Has your career so gripped your life that you are preoccupied, preoccupied away from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we worry about and we fret about shall be added unto you? I want to say this. We do well to think about it. If anything other than Jesus has you, you are entangled. If anything other than Jesus has you, you are entangled. Timothy, suffer with me like a soldier. Timothy, suffer with me, suffer with me like an athlete. If a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Striving for masteries is the idea of competing for a win. We understand that. He's using an athletic illustration. And so this athlete is required to strive lawfully. I recently listened to a, a uh, biography or a, a historical uh, podcast about Lance Armstrong. I think I, I mentioned this to you in the, the Tour de France uh, and, and, and listening how he got into the corruption of his the, the corruption of uh, taking performance-enhancing drugs. It's an amazing scheme that went on for years upon years upon years, and all built because he wanted that top. He wanted to be at the top. And there's a lot of pressure within, within the, on those groups, and so there was a lot of uh, pressure to do it and to go further, just do anything to win. The ends justify the means, but you know what? It was eventually found out. And so here we have uh, Lance Armstrong, who did not strive lawfully, and now his, his name, as soon as it's said, it's, it's kind of like, oh yeah, well, Lance Armstrong. It really discredits everything else that, that happened in his life. Why? Because he didn't strive lawfully. What's Paul trying to say to Timothy? Hey, listen, if you're going to endure hardness, you're going to need to do it, and you're going to need to do it lawfully. You're going to need to do it according to the word of God. If you're going to be crowned, if you're going to receive that well done, thou good and faithful servant, you're going to need to strive lawfully. Timothy, suffer with me like a farmer. Well, how does a farmer suffer? Well, that's a lot of work. I, I remember, uh, I, I'm not a farmer. Not at all. Uh, and I, I, I don't really have any compulsion that way. I don't have a, a natural inclination towards a John Deere tractor. I just, I, I just don't have that. But you know, I respect them. I, I grew up with a farmer. Uh, we used to go soul winning every Sunday afternoon. He was a type of farmer. He, he was just cut and dry, Brother Bloyd. He was cut and dry. We'd get to the door. We'd, we'd be making new, a new visit, uh, new move-in visits, and we always had scripture plaques we'd deliver, and we'd try for, uh, you know, uh, an opportunity at the door, and we'd get up there and we'd knock. He'd always knock three times. He'd never just leave it at one. He'd knock every every Sunday afternoon out. My dad, him, every Sunday afternoon, we would be out uh, knocking doors. Three times he'd knock it. People would come to the door. Oh, I'm not interested. Well, you will be someday. <laughs> That's how this old farmer did it. He's still living, and he's still farming. And I, I'm thinking he's pretty close to his 90s, and it's a pretty amazing thing. But you know what? When I'd go out to his farm, he would, he would hire us to bale hay. I don't know where Brother, Grub, um, Brother Grub's out there, and I, I'm sure he hears this. He would hire us to bale hay. That was some of the most awful work in the world. I'm just telling you. 
I remember uh, we were baling hay on a night. Oh, you get cats bailed in the hay. You get snake bailed in the hay. I mean, it was just kind of a, a, a nasty ordeal. And, uh, and you, you feared that, that baler. It was, the, it was the square bales, Mrs. Mrs. Grubb. It, it, was, it, it, was, it was that. And those things are heavy, and we're stacking and stacking them. The worst was going up in the mow, where it's about 135 degrees and stacking that stuff. But uh, we, would, we would work out there, and at that point, he'd pay us like $5 an hour. Everyone else, every other farmer in town would pay a little bit better than that, but he paid $5 an hour. That was brutal work. You get done with five hours of work, walk home with $25. It was brutal, brutal work. You know, things broke down on the farm. Things didn't quite go right sometimes. Sometimes we were halted while we were waiting on something to be fixed. You know, a farmer has to go through a lot of work, a lot of affliction in order to get the fruit, right? Right, Brother Brubaker? A lot of work. But you know what the Bible's saying here? He has to put in the work in order to have the fruit. He has, to, he has to endure affliction in order to see the outcome. You know, God's telling you, uh, to you and to me, endure hardness until you see it. Well, I invited them once to church, and they didn't come. Endure hardness. Well, they're a new believer, and they should just have inside of their heart that they read the Bible every day, they pray every day, and they come to church faithfully with everyone else. No, endure hardness. Teach, communicate, help them along encourage, send a text, meet him for coffee, endure hardness, come alongside. You know what Paul said that ministry was like? He said it's similar to a woman travailing in birth. Now, no guy in his right mind uh, and, and a wise man would, would compare his work to uh, giving birth. So, I understand. He says, of whom I travail in birth until Christ, uh, uh, again, until Christ be formed in you. So I don't, what, I, what I'm getting at is I don't suggest that you, you uh, go home. I'm teaching Sunday school classes just like, uh, it's just like giving birth, hon. And I just, uh, that's not going to go over well. It's probably going to mean a knot in your head, right? It's, it's just, it's not going to go over well. But here, what Paul is trying to say is it takes intense, intense labor. It's painful. I was conversating with a, a, a newer believer this, this week, and we were sharing the burden about those that, that walk away from the Lord. And, and he said, oh, it must be painful to see this on an on a, on a ongoing basis. I said, yes, but there's, all, there's always disappointments, and there's always delights in the ministry. Always. And you know, we have to be willing to go through the disappointments in order to have the delights. We have to be willing to travail and to work and to work hard. The idea here is that this, this farmer is working every single day on an ongoing basis, putting in intense labor. And so what Paul, um, what Paul is telling Timothy, if you're going to uh, have a, a life that is, uh, that is full of grace, you need, to, you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so serving Jesus in any capacity. But Timothy as a pastor discipling, helping new believers along. It is very difficult work, but it is good work, and we are to endure through it. Jesus said this to his disciples when they said, well, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. We've really sacrificed in order to follow you. We get that mindset sometimes. We really sacrificed in order to follow you. You know what Paul, uh, Jesus said to them? Mark 10, 29. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands 
with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. You haven't lost anything. And so endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure. Now what should Timothy do with these truths? I'm to be enabled by grace. I'm to endure by grace. What should Timothy do with these, these, uh, these truths? Look at verse number 7. Let's read it out loud together. Don't, uh, don't go asleep on me. Look at verse number 7. Consider what I say and give, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. All right? So Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to enact what you're hearing right now by grace. I want you to put it into practice. I want you to practice it. And that's going to mean, first of all, Timothy, ponder the word that I've given you. Consider what I say. Think upon it carefully. This is a command that Paul is saying. Hey, I want you to listen to the heart of the spiritual leader. I want you to listen to what, what I'm saying, Timothy, so that you can receive it and put it into practice. This, again, would require humility on Timothy's part. Timothy was going to need to say, you know what, I do need to listen to that. I do need to follow the faith of the Apostle Paul. I do realize that the Apostle Paul is considering the, the model of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's considering the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's, he's trying to communicate this to me, and so I'm going to follow that faith. Timothy would need to drop any defenses and say, I'm going to follow that faith. Notice where Paul wanted Timothy's ultimate trust to be. He says, and the Lord give thee. The Lord give thee. Uh, Timothy, I don't want you just to ponder what I'm saying. I want you to pray about it. Pray that God gives you understanding. You know that's a teachable heart. The word give here is, is the idea that Paul is making this request for Timothy, but also that Timothy would make this request for himself. The Lord give thee. The Lord give thee understanding. The Lord give thee comprehension the ability to understand in all things. Paul's prayer for Timothy reflects the heart of a spiritual leader. And you know what? He said the same thing over in 2 Corinthians uh, tw uh, chapter 1 and verse 23 and 24 when he told the Corinthian believers, your faith is not based on me. It's not based on, on what I say. It's based on the, the word of God. And he says there, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by um, faith ye stand. And he told the Corinthian believers, I'm not trying to come in here and, and act like I have the, the dictatorship over your faith. I'm trying to help you along into a right relationship with God. Paul said that he, he was often uh, uh, instructing those that oppose themselves. He says, I'm trying to help you along in your joy, and it's by faith that you stand. It's by faith you, you hold this position. This needed to be Timothy's prayer as well. And I wonder, is it your prayer tonight? Lord, give me understanding. Uh, am I living the Christian life to the level that you want me to live it? Uh, am I following you as I ought to? Is my heart right with you? Lord, help me to understand your word. Lord, help me to understand the burden of, uh, uh, even as I preach this message tonight, there ought, to be a, there ought to be a sense in our hearts tonight as a church gathering. Hey, Lord, help me understand the, the message you developed within my pastor. Help me to have a teachable and directable spirit that I might live a uh, grace-filled and a, a grace-dependent a grace, uh, life. Living by grace is not not about being soft-spoken. We get this idea. There's a lot of talk about grace. Uh, even there's been much abuse of grace. Uh, there was a book years ago that really focused in that grace allows you to live a life as you please. And it, it is, it is it's an, a horrible doctrine because the Bible totally discredits that. But grace is not about being soft-spoken and just kind of going with the flow. I'm going to be a person of grace. 
Now, grace requires enduring hardness. It, it, it's always it has the, the, the power and the enablement of God to do it, but living by grace enables us to do what we need to do to endure and enact the instructions of God's word in the midst of this incredibly perverse world around us. Incredibly perverse. Only by grace are we going to shine brightly in this stage. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know, grace always leads us closer to God, never further away from God. Grace will always lead us closer to God. It'll always lead us further away from the world. Grace always enables us and never depletes us. Listen, dads, sometimes it, it's wearying to look at this culture and say, oh, man, it's rough. It's wearying to, to take that stand. But you know what? Grace never depletes us. If you're living a life by grace, you're going to be able to go forward and endure the hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Grace is always available to the humble. A.W. Tozer said it this way in a close. The grace of God is infinite and beyond our ability to measure. Grace is his grace has no beginning and therefore has no end. Are you living a life by grace? Is your life describable only by the grace of God? By the grace of God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.